Good morning. Howdy. Howdy. That's a better. Hope you all are doing good this morning. Um, We're going to be in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, so if you can flip there, I'm going to give you a little bit of who who this weird guy is standing in front of you, and uh, then I'm going to read a passage for us and pray for us, and then we'll launch in. My name is Kevin Barra. I'm the youth pastor here, and uh, we kind of play right over there, uh, do lots of things over there, and I'm excited to be over here. We're basically doing the pastor shuffle this morning. Uh, two youth people are doing college, and uh, Matt moved up, and then Trey is just chilling. Uh, he's sleeping in. He's like, I'm taking the weekend off. It's going to be great. Um, but uh, lots of things have changed in my life recently. Um, I, uh, I am married, and I have one child, and uh, about a week, a little over a week ago, we had our second baby, and so I was going to show you a couple pictures, if that's cool with you guys. His name is uh, Micah Brooks Barra, and he is 21 inches long. He is 7 pounds, 10 ounces, which is huge because our first baby was only 5 pounds, 2 ounces, so he's huge, and that's him in his sporting good tie and uh, looking good at zero months, and my wife got a little creative with some of these pics. Um, there, there's him. Oh, yeah, that's good. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and that's him in his owl cap, uh, looking stellar. Um, and that's why you have children, people, so that you can dress them up in odd gear and take photos. And then how's my daughter responding? Mm, she's unsure. Uh, that's Peyton. That's Micah. And, uh, but anyway, that, that's a little bit about me. That's my world. Um, so we're not sleeping much. Um, so we'll see if we get through this morning. Um, hey, uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 25. I'm going to read those for us, and then we're going to jump in. Gospel of Matthew, starting in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and called his name Jesus. I skipped over one part. I'm going to read verse one real quick as well. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for your word. And a few moments here to to gain some insight from your scripture. But more than anything, Lord, in this moment, what we want is your spirit to invade us, to meet with our hearts, to change our lives, to give us perspective on the life that we are living and clarity on the path that we are pursuing in front of us. And if you're up for it, I ask that you pray for, your, for yourself, that your heart would be open to hear exactly what God would want to speak specifically to you this morning. And if you'd be willing, I'd ask that you pray for me, that uh, my words would be clear and make sense and be helpful. Well, Father, we love you. We trust you. Use this time. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, some friends of ours uh, taught my wife and I a game uh, a couple months ago, and the game is called Ticket to Ride. I don't know if you've ever played it. Oh, okay, a couple fans. And the goal of the game is simple. Your goal is to build trains to connect to different destinations on a map. And so you'll have like the map of uh, Europe, and the goal is to connect to different cities on the map. And so each player has trains and gets cards, and the goal is to build destinations, get different destinations, and then get points as you connect from one destination to the, to the other. And so as we're playing this game, we're spending the weekend with some friends of ours, and we, we kind of go there, and they teach us the game, and and my friend war- warns me, he says, hey, my wife is amazing at this. She's going to destroy all of us. I haven't won one of these games um, the entire time that we've played. And so I'm going, okay, I'm getting all nervous, right? Because I'm competitive. And, and so I, I get my cards and I'm sweating over the game and I'm just kind of looking and trying to do the trains correctly. And my wife's playing too. And I got to beat her and her and, and him, of course, because he's a loser. And, and so I'm, I'm kind of balancing this whole thing out and I'm sweating, I'm stressing. And, and suddenly we get get to the end of the game and we tally up the points and my wife and I beat both of them. I mean, it was awesome. You could cheer for that. That's great. We, we destroyed both. Yeah. Yes. We destroyed both of them. Um, his wife and him, the first time we played, we beat them both. I think my wife beat me, um, little hit to the ego, but the, the truth is we played this new game and we were victorious. And it was interesting is I looked to my friend and I said, okay, you've played this before. Uh, I don't understand, why do you keep losing? What's your strategy in this game? And he says, well, my goal is to build the longest train. And I said to him, okay, do you get points for building the longest train? He says, yeah, you you get get 10 points. Okay, do you get more points by connecting destinations along this train? Yes. Okay, well, it would seem to be wiser to actually change your strategy as opposed to just building the longest train but, and instead connect destinations. And, and for some reason, this didn't filter through his mind. I mean, I don't know why. Maybe life got complex in the midst of the game. He sees trains going everywhere. And so he says to himself, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm stressed. They're, t- they're cutting me off. Longest train. Forget it, people. I'm going longest train. Kind of, that's his strategy. Like, I, don't, I didn't understand what it was, but it's sad and a bit funny to watch someone consistently lose at a game. I mean, it may be helping his marriage out, but it's not going to stop me from mocking him. Uh, And it's sad and funny to watch a guy continually lose at a game. But it's infinitely more sad if you walk through this life and you miss the point of the game. Now, you're in college right now, and I love college because college is a time of tremendous opportunity and tremendous choices. I mean, I, I looked on, online to see how many A&M organizations there are right now. Uh, you've got a lot of opportunities. There's only over 800 Texas A&M organizations that are registered, and there's plenty of non-registered organizations. And not only that, if you can't find one that you fit with or want to do, you can start your own. Just kind of go online, and you can start up your own A&M organization tonight. Like, you can go there and do it. You've also got tremendous choices in majors. You've got plenty of options of majors you're choosing. You're also choosing a, a career path. Hopefully the major and the career path will line up. And you'll, Some of you are having other opportunities, and it's already been spoken of this morning, and you may be choosing, finding the opportunity of the one. You know, Maybe at the retreat. And, and you, you, you're chasing all of these different opportunities, and many of you are approaching these opportunities in different ways. 
Some of you have a clear focus. I mean, you've got your planner out. You've got your trajectory. You know what major you want to go towards. You know what organizations that you're chasing. And you know what spouse, what girl that you're going to get. And so you've kind of got this all planned out, mapped out. You've got sticky tabs on your little planner. And you've got this whole trajectory of your life planned right in front of you. You are working it. Others of you, not so much. Um, You're a free spirit. You flow. You float. You're here to get some friends get some experiences. The truth is you don't know what you're doing, um, but you hope that the end of five, six, four, maybe, if you're lucky, years, that you will have clarity on that next step of your life. You're hoping that as you're going through these steps of life, that you know exactly that somehow something will pop up. The trajectory of your life will become clear. And some of you are just confused. College was just the next step. You know, you graduated high school, and so you entered into this new world of college, and you're thinking to yourself, well, all my friends went there. Hopefully a and a good place. Hopefully this will all clarify as I walk through this next steps. And many of you are all kind of in the midst of those. Some, there's, some of you have clarity. Some of you have confusion. But you definitely want to have fun. But the great tragedy would be is if you go through these four, five years and you miss the point of the game. If you walk these next four years and although you're chasing all of these different organizations, all of these different opportunities, all of these different majors, if you pursue those ends, but you miss the chief end. See, college was a great time for me because it was a time when it solidified into my mind what the whole point of life was about. And this morning, I want to give you some clarity on what the chief end is. What is this whole thing headed towards and how that intersects and impacts your life? See, as as we open up with the Gospel of Matthew, the Bible is written predominantly to change perspective. And in verse 1, you get some major perspective change. It says the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And many of us, as soon as we see the genealogy, we just skip it, right? We're just like, okay, lots of names I don't care about. Maybe if you're looking for baby names, you kind of look through those. But otherwise, like you pretty much just skip those. But for this, the genealogy is actually pretty significant, The genealogy shows that there is a king of promise that is coming through, and Jesus, the Christ, fulfills the coming through his genealogy. It also says the Messiah. Messiah just means anointed one. When you anointed a king, when a king was being chosen to rule, they would take a vial of oil, and they would pour it over his head, and it would come down over his head, and it would be a declaration that this one has the right to rule. They did this to David in 1 Samuel. You also see the name Son of David. It was a promise in the Old Testament that one would come, a son of David, a branch from Jesse, that would set everything right. As you read in the book of, uh, of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 11, it describes the, what the world will look like when the Messiah King, the branch from Jesse, David's dad, rules over this earth. It says a branch from Jesse will come. He will rule all over the world in peace and there will be crazy circumstances. The wolf will lay down with the lamb, um, the sheep with with like a wolf. I mean, it's a crazy environment. A child's going to be playing with a cobra in the viper's den. It's going to be nuts. Like I'm never going to let my kids just play with cobras. But apparently at some point when this Messiah King comes, he's going to bring peace on this world like we've never experienced before. 
He is the son of David. He is the son of Abraham. He has the authority to come. And as you look at that, you, you see, okay, there's something big happening here. There's something big that God is moving through the world. And in the gospel of Matthew, Matthew's saying, yes, and here it is. The king of the universe is sending his son into the earth. And when this king comes, everything that is broken and wrong in the world will be set right. There will be peace like you have never experienced when this Messiah king comes. My uh, daughter has a favorite song, and it is the Itsy Bitsy Spider. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Um, the Itsy Bitsy, there's hand motions to the song, uh, but my daughter never goes through the whole song. She always starts in the middle of the song, and in the middle of the song, there's a moment in the song where the out comes the sun, and it dries up all the rain, and that Itsy Bitsy Spider goes up the spout again. It's, it's an amazing moment. I mean, and if you... If you've ever kind of engaged with that song, and, and, and truthfully, as I'm kind of raising my daughter, there comes moments when she's sitting there on the floor, and just at a random moment, she throws her hands into the air, and she doesn't, doesn't really speak yet, and so she just says, eh, and we know at that moment, we got to sing that song again, right? And so we tell her, yes, um, out came the sun, and it dries up all the rain, and that itsy bitsy spider has got a chance to go up that spout one more time, and uh, it's, it's a moment of victory and hope for that spider, really. Um, and, and, and I say that because it's, it's kind of funny because it, you see darkness in the world of the spider. I don't know if you've dealt with the song, but I've, I've been reliving it recently. And, um, and he's just trying to go up a water spout. I mean, I, he's, he's not trying to hurt children. You know, he's not trying to bite anyone. Like, he's, he's just going, you know. And, uh, and then the rain comes down. You know, life, life gets hard. There's There's trial. In his existence. But the great news is, in that middle of that song, is that out comes the sun, and it dries up all the rain, everything that was wrong, and that itsy-bitsy spider can go up the pipe one more time. You know, it's, it's a great moment, and it's so funny, every time my daughter kind of sings that song and gets that moment, it's an exciting moment for the spider, it's an exciting moment for her, and truthfully, it's an exciting moment for us, because the gospel of Matthew opens up with the great king that is coming to this world, that sees all of the pain and all of the tragedy that we face, and he has come to set it right. He's come to take all the brokenness of the world and bring healing and restoration of all things. And that's great news. But the problem is, when the king comes, the only problem is this. When the king comes, he always brings complications into the lives of the people he interacts with. When this Messiah king comes, he will bring complications. And that is the biggest problem that we face. And honestly, that's the biggest problem that Joseph faced. As you read this story, um, we get a context of what's going on. It's the birth of the Messiah. And as the king of the universe is intersecting with the life of Joseph, we see major complications. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit of promise. You see, Joseph was an ordinary guy. He had plans, he had agendas, he had a goal that he was chasing, he had a trajectory laid out, and as he's kind of working through the plans of his life, suddenly it blows up. You see, he was planning an ordinary life 
with an ordinary wife. Like that was his goal. I want to be a carpenter. I'm in Nazareth. It's kind of a rustic rural area. And I'm planning to marry this woman. I'm My future is going to be laid out simply right in front of me. And that is his goal. That is his plan to live a simple life with a wife, maybe get some babies along the way. It's going to be a beautiful moment. But suddenly in the midst of his world entered crazy town because the woman that he was engaged with was found to be with child. You're old enough now. What happens when suddenly a friend of yours says, guess what? I'm pregnant. You freak. Like, oh my gosh. Like, that changes everything. Even if she's engaged, it doesn't matter. Like, that changes everything. And what's interesting in this, the rest of this section is we don't get Mary's perspective in this. Um, in the Gospel of Luke, you get Mary's perspective on this whole environment. And if you read the Gospel of Luke, it's a lot more flowery and poetic. Um, Mary goes and visits her sister Elizabeth, and Elizabeth busts into song. Blessed is your womb. She's singing about her belly. And then, and then Mary kind of moves on. She goes, I am blessed. She's come to visit salvation. And it's this moment of kind of epic poetry and song. I mean, there's dance numbers. There's jazz hands. You know, like the whole thing is kind of up in the air, but we don't get that perspective on Joseph's life. And I like that because that wouldn't be my world. This would be my world. When I find out that the plans that I have for my life get intersected with major challenges, I don't respond happy. I respond like Joseph. And what Joseph said when he found this news, it says that he was a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, he planned to send her away secretly. And there's two major words I want to focus on in that verse. One is that he's righteous. That doesn't mean that he is without sin. What it means is that he lives according to the laws of society. And so in being a righteous man, he can't marry a woman of questionable background. You see, what would happen in the life of a Jew is that there would be a period of about a year of betrothal where um, a a wife and a husband uh, were betrothed to one another for one year. And the purpose of that one year is to see if the wife was indeed faithful to the spouse. And given over that one also so they could get to know each other. So given that one year, what happens is that it becomes evident that Mary is with child. So more than likely, her belly is beginning to grow. And this whole thing is, is obvious to everyone. And Joseph is a righteous man. He's been faithful to Mary. He hasn't cheated on her. He hasn't slept around. And so his, he's looking at this going, okay, I can't marry her. I can't go on this step of my life. I, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And so his plan, instead of doing what he could have done, which was stone her, it also says not only was he righteous, but he was merciful. He didn't want to disgrace her publicly. He didn't want to bring her in front of everyone and say, look at this. What he wanted to do was leave her quietly and go about his life. See, when the complication of God came into his life, he responded like most of us respond. Avoidance, right? When suddenly complication hits your world and it's going to hit this semester, your natural response is to avoid all problems. But the truth is, when the king moves into your world and into my world, he will bring complications into your life. This is what he's always done throughout history. And Abraham, think about Abraham for a moment. He's doing his normal day's life. He's kind of raising a family. He's married a wife. And then suddenly God intersects with him and says, Abraham, I want you to go to a place where, you're, where you don't know where you're going. Okay, well, how do I know when I get there? You know, you just start walking, and I'll show you where you're supposed to go. 
We see this in the life of David. He was anointed king, and then he spent 30 years being chased by a crazed king in the wilderness, all before he would finally become ushered in as king. But there was trial in his life in the midst of this process. If you really want to engage in what God's bringing through the world, know this it will be complicated. There will be trials that God interacts, intersects into your life. And if you're like me, you would ask this question, why the complication? God, why can't you just make it simple? Why can't you just make these next steps of my life simple? What, God, are you doing in the midst of this complication? And I'd say there's several things that, that God might be doing. It's possible that God is, is simply um, closing a door for you. It may be that, uh, that as you're kind of walking this next step, suddenly you take the first round of tests and you realize that although you thought you wanted to be a mechanical engineer, that exam is not saying that you need to pursue that. Um, you had four questions on the test and you worked on two of them and you got one of those wrong. And so you're just going, I don't know if this is going to be the next step. I mean, God may be closing the door. For some of you, God may be just teaching you perseverance. Like you need to persevere through this trial of what God is opening up next for you. For some of you, he may just be redirecting your life. He's closing one door and he may be opening up another to lead you in a different direction of life. That's maybe what God is doing. This happened in the life of Paul. For others of you, the greatest problem that you're facing may be part of God's greater plan in your life. The greatest issue that's right in front of you may be all part of God's bigger plan for you. But the question is, how do we know what God is doing? What do we, how do we figure out what God is bringing in our particular life circumstance? What we need is what Joseph got, and that's an inter, intervention, an intersection of God. God needs to move. God needs to speak. God needs to tell you what he's trying to do in this circumstance. And the great thing is, is that's exactly what happened to the life of, in the life of Joseph. It says that he made this plan to divorce her quietly. And verse 20 says that when he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what the prophet has spoken. Behold, the virgin shall be a child. And you shall name, call his name, he'll be named a name, Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, what happens in this moment is that he gets what all of us want. A first encounter moment with God, where God says, I, here's the situation that you're encountering. Here are the issues that you're facing. And here's what you need to do next. Like we all want that. We all want a clear dream in which God says, you need to go from A to B to C to D and everything will work out perfectly. Like that's what we all want. And Joseph gets it. You know, we don't always get this. But there are some principles that God is working through the life of Joseph that he's also working in our life. And the first principle is this, that God sees potential in the unimpressive. You see, what's interesting in, in this person, Joseph, what it says of him is that when the angel first speaks, he says to him, Joseph, son of David. Now, who was Joseph? He was a nobody from nowhere. He was a carpenter. And oftentimes they'll emphasize, yeah, Jesus was the son of a carpenter. Joseph was a carpenter. Why do they continue to say that? Because that means he was a middle class, nobody from nowhere. He's from Nazareth. 
from the Harper Bible Dictionary says this of Nazareth. Nazareth was an insignificant agricultural village not far from uh, the major trade route of Egypt. It is not mentioned in the Old Testament or any rabbinical writings. No one knew where Nazareth was, and if they knew where it was, no one really cared. It's a small town in podunk nowhere. And it's in that moment to this insignificant man from this insignificant place that God intervenes in his life to make him part of what God is bringing in the world. You see, I don't, I don't know what your trajectory in life is, but some of you feel this. You feel insignificant. You've come to A&M. You've come to this university and you have great aspirations, great hopes, like you were graduated top of your class because that's how you got into this university. And suddenly you walk through the, through the campus, you walk through the doors, maybe even of this room, and you just say, am I even known? Does God even care? Does God have a future, a path for me? And the truth is, yeah. God uses insignificant, willing people all the time. My favorite story is the life of D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was one of the most famous evangelists that this nation has ever seen. And he spoke to crowds of thousands, led thousands of people to Christ, but he didn't get there immediately. It said after he first came to Christ, he went out for church membership. I don't know if you've gone out for church membership, but you would think that most churches would be nice and want people to be members. This is what they said of D.L. Moody. It is unlikely that he will ever be able to clearly communicate the truths of the gospel, and it is still less likely that he will fill any extended sphere of public usefulness. That's a nice way of saying, D.L. Moody, um, I don't think you're going to be good for anything. And they denied him. Like trial one, they denied him. And so he eventually became a member of that church, but then felt God moving him elsewhere. And so he moved to Chicago, and that's where his big ministry started. But when he first went there, he tried to go out and and help another church along. And so he was volunteering in whatever way that he could. And so he tried to volunteer for the prayer service team, right? Seems like a Seems like there's no one going out for prayer. So he's like, I'll, I'll serve there. I don't care. God, if you just want me to work with you, that's where I'm going to go. And so he goes out to help with prayer service. And it says of this, this of him, the brethren were not patient enough to suffer his crude experience and suggestions were not infrequent that he could best serve the Lord by silence. <laughs> Ouch. Um, that's a level of rejection I've never had to deal with. Uh, but for him... I, D.L. Moody, although he's living his life desiring to serve the Lord, what is clear is that he was unimpressive, but he was willing. And he persevered and he persevered until finally God opened up tremendous opportunity for him. But what he was, what was the clearest part in his mind is this. I love the Lord. I love what he is working in this world. And I'm going to serve him. I don't know what path you're chasing, but I promise you, if that's your goal, no matter how unimpressive you might be, God can use you mightily in this place. The second part is this, that, that it says of Joseph. It says that you shall, you shall bear a son, she'll bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. Joseph was living a normal life in Nazareth with no aspirations of greatness. And suddenly an angel appears to him and says, look, Joseph, here's what what I want you to be a part of. You are going to carry the son, 
that I'm sending, and he's going to bring salvation to everyone in the world. Joseph, I want you to be a part of my restoration work in this world. I am bringing salvation to everyone in the world. The problem that we all face is sin. We are separated by God by sin of omission. We don't do what's right. And sin of commission, we commit what is wrong. And what God is saying is, look, Joseph, I don't care where you've been. I don't care who you are. But if you just follow me and obey me, here's what I want your life to be about. You are going to help bring in the king that is going to save everyone. And you get to be a part of that. If you call yourself a Christian today, God doesn't care how amazing you are or how amazing you're not or you wish you could be. But he says, look, if you follow me, you can be a part of bringing restoration to this entire world. And lastly, this is all part of God's plan. What he says to him is, this isn't a surprise. I knew that you would be questioning about this situation. But look, this was prophesied by Isaiah hundreds of years beforehand that the virgin would be with child, that she would get pregnant, that there would be these complications, that you would be unsure about your, unsure about your future. But listen, God has planned this from eternity past, how this would play out. And guess what? The very hairs of your head are numbered. God knows exactly where you are, exactly who you are, and exactly what he wants to do with you. All that's necessary is that you open your hands and you say, all right, God, what do you want to do with me? I'm willing to be used for your purposes in this world. What do you want to do with me? I'd give you two stories uh, that really communicate this well with me. Um, I remember when I was in college, I sat just like you're sitting, listening to a guy up front speak. And in that moment, I said to myself, as, as God was solidifying into my mind what my next path was in the future, I said to myself, okay, I'm watching this guy speak. I think I want to do that. And I didn't in that moment, like get up and go to the mic and say, hey, I think I'm supposed to do this here. Go ahead and give me that. No, I, I, didn't, I didn't do that. But I felt God stirring within my heart. I felt God stirring a passion for him and a passion to communicate his word to people. And I said, okay, Lord, I want to, I want to pursue your path. You see, the biggest question is how do we determine what God's perspective is in our lives? How do we know what our next step is if we're going to be a part of what God is moving in the world? How do we determine God's work in our lives? Well, some of you, you may get a dream. It may be possible that you sleep one night and you wake up and you just say, oh, this is clear. This is what I'm going to do next. God lines it out for you. For the rest of us, that doesn't happen. Um, It didn't happen with me. And so I'd give you a couple things to think about as you're considering what your next steps in life would be. First of all, I would ask you to do this. Ask God to speak. He does. He clearly communicates to people that are seeking him. If you're unsure what your next step in college is or life is, have you took it to God and said, God, just bring me clarity. Show me what you want me to do next in my life. Then I would search the scriptures. I would seek diligently God's revealed word so that he would give you clarity in those next steps. And then I would, I would say this, seek wise counsel. Seek wise counsel from men above you. Uh, It was so great as I'm walking through my next steps of life, I'd talk to men and women around me to say, okay, what do you see as talents or leanings within me? Are you validating those? Okay, what direction do I go next? And what that requires is for you to be in community. 
You see, this is a great moment here where we can come and hear the word of God. But the truth is, I can't give you clarity on your next steps. What you need are men and women who love you, that can listen to you, that hear your heart, and can help direct you into how God is using you. And lastly, I would tell you this. Listen to your leanings. If you hate something, don't pursue it with all of your heart, right? Um, my, my wife realized this. She started college, and she started in the architecture school. And as she's walking through this architecture school, she realized that she could complete the work, but she hated it, right? It was just not enjoyable at all. She had to sketch things and draw things, and she was like, I can spend my entire life in this place, but I don't like that. And it wasn't that she couldn't do it. She could muster her way through it, but it wasn't what God was burning her to do. She came here, and now she has her hands on animals. You know, she's a vet. So God is working within your life to move you to do something for him. Seek wise counsel as you pursue it. And at the end of the day, the great news is, once you figure out what God has geared you to do, you pursue it with all your heart. I had a buddy uh, when I came here and I got into a home church group and that home church group was, was great. Those people have loved me well. They have loved my wife well. They bring us food and such. So I encourage you to join, join a home church. Um, and so as, as we're kind of going through this home church for a while, there was a man there um, that we would meet, uh, me and him and a couple other guys, and we would talk about what God was doing in our lives. And as we're kind of walking through this process, he begins, the God begins stirring in his mind a passion to leave College Station, Texas. He had a job here as an MIS. And he said, okay, I think my life here is too easy. The Christian culture is so clear. I don't, I'm never challenged in my faith. I can always read the Bible or have a Christian conversation. It's too easy here. And God began stirring that in his heart. And as he walked through a number of months, it was so fun watching him walk through this. And by the time he got to the end of a couple months, he said, okay, I feel like God is wanting me to go to Qatar. And I was like, ooh, awesome. He said, yeah, yeah, the, they don't love Jesus there, and I can't be openly a Christian there, and so I'm going to go there. And I'm like, okay. And, and he's like, and I, and I already got a job with the university. I'm going to be covert operative, and I'm going to bring people to Jesus. I mean, that's what God has wired me to do, and that's what I'm going to pursue. You see, what is God working in your heart? And if you're open, if you're seeking, if you're listening, God will open up that door. And the truth is, once God opens that door, the next steps, you charge forward, full bore. And that's what Joseph did. And so it becomes clear for us, what, what is the application from this morning? It's simple. You've got to marry the girl, you've got to keep her a virgin, and you've got to raise a son, and you've got to name him Jesus. Like, that's your next step. No, I mean, that's, that's his next step. That's his clarifying things, but, but what does that mean for us? Well, it means this, that we marry the girl. That means we publicly identify with Jesus. You see, many of you are, are cultural Christians. And for me, when I first came to college, I didn't really pursue Jesus out of the overflow of my heart. I just did the church thing every now and then, and I didn't really, if it push came to shove, I would, I would stuff it. Joseph in this moment is saying, I'm going to take on the inconveniences of being publicly a Christian. And they were going to be big for him. Because throughout Jesus' entire life, people questioned his background. In fact, you can read in the Gospel of John, he says, several of the Pharisees say to him, like, no, Abraham is our father. At least we know who our daddy is. Joseph is going to have to spend his entire life answering constant questions about the background of his wife. 
Who is she with now? Okay, whose boy is that? And the truth is, as you continue to be a Christian and walk through God's plan of you, there will come moments when you suffer persecution. It's going to happen. The second thing that he did is that he kept her a virgin, which is challenging uh, because marriage brings benefits. And, uh, and so for him to say, I'm not going to engage in the sexual relationships that I could with my wife. I'm going to keep her a virgin. What he's saying is, look, I'm not going to manipulate the plans of God. You know, he could have, and it would have made things a little bit easier. He could have smoothed it over saying he brought her in and then he impregnated her. He could have kind of smoothed out the whole plan. Like, no, no, we actually did. And now we're being righteous now. And so I know who she's been with. And he could have tried to smooth over the whole process, but he didn't. He says, if God wants this girl to be a virgin and the son of the universe, of the king of the universe to come and be from a virgin, I'm not going to manipulate. I'm going to allow God to bring his plans forth. You see, as you choose to be a Christian, as you encounter conflict around you, you don't defend God. You let God be God. Some of us, so many times, we try to defend the works of God. Why did God do that in the Old Testament? Because he's God and he can do what he pleases. Last thing that he did, or the next thing that he did, it says that he raised the son. He did the dirty yet crucial work that God was calling him towards. I mean, I don't know if you've messed with children. I hadn't until I had them. Um, they poop. They pee. They puke. Um, the other day, uh, my wife is changing our son right near our bed, and he projectiled onto our bed. Like, it was gross. I mean, it's disgusting. And, and Jesus wasn't born without those bodily functions, right? So the glorious work that God was calling Joseph to, here's the king of the universe, the savior of the world, changed his diaper, right? That's what's going on in this moment. And so what Joseph had to do was do the insignificant, needy jobs that were part of the process, part of the plan. And for some of you in this moment, you may say, I'm wanting to go there. I'm wanting to do that. But what you need to do right now is the insignificant, dirty work to prepare you for what's next. That's what Joseph did. He did his part in bringing the salvation of the world. There are no insignificant jobs in the kingdom of God, just jobs that got to get done. There's junior high students over there that people need to love. There's crazy fifth and sixth graders over there that people need to love. There are no insignificant jobs in the kingdom. We're just called to be responsible. And the last thing he says this, that he named him Jesus. And that may not seem significant to you, but it was significant to him because in naming a child, you were showing ownership. You were saying, this child is mine. He's from my loins. And if anything, I own him. He's mine. But instead of taking ownership of the gifts that God had given to him, he said, I'm going to name him Jesus. I'm going to release all the good things that God has given to me right back to him. See, the great news is that you and I get to be a part of the most miraculous story that has been woven throughout all of history. That story is this, that the king of the universe loves this world, even though we have run far from him. And his desire is to bring reconciliation, restoration of all people in all places everywhere to him. And you get to play a part in bringing that great story. And how do you do it? You don't hold on to what's yours, your talents, your money, 
what you've got. You say, Lord, what do you want to do? I'm open for you. If you pursue that, you get the point of the game. If that's what you're living for, you can come to the end of your days and say, Lord, I listened to you, I obeyed you, and you stand before him proud of the life that you lived. And that's what I want for you. Proverbs 16.3 says this, Commit your works to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for this morning. And Lord, I thank you that although we suffer complications, uncertainties in our life, Lord, that you are building a big plan. And the great news is we can play a part, however big or however small, in the plan that matters most. And so, Father, I pray for those students that are here that you would clarify what their next steps are, where you're leading them, where you're guiding them. And, Father, that they would walk with you in power so that they can partner with you in bringing transformation to this world. We love you. Thank you so much for who you are. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, y'all have a great morning. Thanks a lot.